Hey, First Church, hope you guys are doing well. I'm excited to be here. I hope you're excited to be here also. I just looked and we have a whole bunch of people joining us for worship online as well. So if you are here in person, would you put your hands together, get loud, welcome in our online family. Let them know we're glad they're joining us here today. And if you're new, my name's Chad. And one thing we want you to know is that here at First Church, we believe in reaching all generations and especially the next generation. We invest a lot of our time, resources, energy, money into investing in the next generation. And across the board, we have a great next gen ministry from the student ministry to the kids, to the littles. We want to raise up a new generation of people who are making a difference in this world. And so I say that not just because I... I'm on staff here and I work with these people and they're incredible, but I also say that because my kids are part of our First Kids ministry and they come home talking about the stuff that they're learning about and they are so excited to be part of the church. And that warms my heart as a parent to know that I don't have to like talk my kids into coming to church or force them or make them come to church. They want to be here. They look forward to it. And so they tell me about the memory verses they're learning or the stories they're learning about. And they even tell me about the games that they play because they play a lot of games apparently and first kids. And one game that they taught me just the other day is this one. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Heard of it. It's called Head, Shoulders, Knees, Cup. Cup, excuse me, lost my voice there. Head, shoulders, knees, cup. Anybody played this game before? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, probably if you volunteer in our first kids ministry, you, knew, you know all about this. And it's really simple. Basically, two people face off and they go head to head. They look at one another. And then you have a third person who's a caller. And that third person will holler out head, shoulders, knees, and then eventually say, cup. And so you put a cup in between the two people. It's kind of like Simon says. So you listen to what the caller is saying. When he or she says head, you touch your head, head, shoulders, knees, and then they get it all out of order and you keep going until they say cup. And the first person to get the cup wins. That's the whole point of the game. Pretty simple. Well, my son wanted to teach me this game the other night and he was talking some smack. He really was. I mean, he was talking trash. He was like, hey, I'm awesome at this game and I'm going to beat you and you've never played it before. So we tried it out and let me show you what happened. Take a look. Don't mess with that, okay? That's all I'm saying. Don't mess with that. I will win in the end. But in case you still don't understand the rules or how this game works, I thought we could use another demonstration. So I've invited Nathan Stain, one of our elementary ministers, to come to the stage. Can we give a warm First Church welcome for Nathan? Yeah? All right. And I've been told that Nathan is the best cup caller that we have. So is that true? Maybe in the world even, right? I went to college for four years for this. Awesome. Well, we are excited to see your abilities this morning. And I've invited a couple other guys to come and face off to play this game. You know them well. Let's also welcome Tim Tibbles and Matt Thomason to the stage as well. All right. One's a little bit lower to the ground than the other, don't you think? saying. Okay. All right. How many of you guys think that Tim's going to win this epic battle? Okay. How many Matt fans do we have? All right. Well, Nathan, take it away. All right, gentlemen. I want to see a fair battle right here. Let's keep it clean. Have a good game. Here we go. Head, shoulders, knees, shoulders, head, 
shoulders, head, shoulders, knees, head, cup. Oh, Tim got it. All right. I think we definitely need a rematch, don't you think? Okay, let's do it one more time. Here we go. What are you doing? Go ahead, Nathan. Knees, shoulders, head, shoulders, knees, shoulders, cut. Oh, all right. Well, we have to have a tiebreaker. It's one to one. And this time I need your guys' help, okay? This is what I want you guys to do. You have to get loud, okay? Can you get loud? Let me hear you. Can you get loud? All right. I want you guys to distract them, okay? So Nathan's still gonna be calling out head, shoulders, knees, cup, but I want you guys to be calling that stuff out too to confuse them. So just shout out cup, knees, shoulders, whatever, confuse them. And if you don't wanna do that, just scream and holler, okay? I especially need you guys in the front row right here. So can we do this? Can we do it? All right, distract them, drown out Nathan. Here we go. Go. Shoulders, knees, shoulders, head, shoulders, cup. Ah, oh, Tim got it. All right, now, let me just ask, is it a lot harder when you have a bunch of voices that are overpowering? Oh, yeah. Okay, all right. Give it up for these guys, thanks. And this does tie into my sermon, I promise. There is a point to this. You see, when you have a whole bunch of voices that are trying to distract you, calling out to you, it's important, it's essential that you pay careful attention to the only voice that matters. And that's true not just when it comes to a kid's game, it's also true when it comes to our spiritual lives. And that's what I wanna talk about today. So we're in this series right now called Life's Too Short. And we're talking about how even though our lives are short on this earth, and the Bible lets us know that our lives are brief, they are short, we are still supposed to make the most of the time that we've been given, that God has big plans for us. Our lives may be short, but they're not insignificant. And that's why we have verses like this in the Bible when Paul writes, so then be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish in how you live, but understand what the will of the Lord is. See, we're supposed to be making the most of this short time that we have. And how do we do that? By following God's will. But in order to know God's will, in order to know God's plans for your life, you have to be willing to listen to him. That's what Jesus teaches us. Jesus says that his sheep listen to his voice. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And what I want us to understand today is there is a huge seismic difference between believing in Jesus and listening to him. Because this world is full of people who claim to believe in Jesus. This room is probably full of people who claim to believe in Jesus. But just because you believe in him doesn't mean that you're listening to him, that you're letting him guide and direct your life. Because there are a whole lot of other voices out there that are competing for our attention. A whole lot of other voices that want to persuade us, that want to tell us that they know what life is all about. And when I say that we need to be those who are listening to Jesus, this is what I mean by that. I mean, listening to Jesus is following his voice above all other voices. Because Jesus also teaches us this. Jesus says, 
that they, his sheep, will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from a stranger because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. See, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Those are the stranger's voices. I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it to the full. If you want to live a complete life, a full life, a whole life, a satisfied life, a content life, a life that isn't free of problems. He's not promising a life that's easy, but a life where you can lay down at night when you go to bed and have inner peace and inner joy and inner satisfaction and know that you are living for an eternal purpose. If you want that kind of life, then it starts with listening to him. And in a world, in a culture, full of a billion different voices that are all competing for our attention. We need to make sure that we're listening to the only voice that matters because we have an enemy who's a master at disguising his voice. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthian church. But Eve's mind, you know, Adam and Eve, but Eve's mind was tricked by the snake's clever lies. And here's what I'm afraid of, Paul says, that your minds will also somehow be led astray. They will be led away from your true and pure love for Christ. We have an enemy who wants to distract us, who wants to lure us away, who wants to persuade us, and he uses lies to do so. In the midst of a world full of lies that hold us hostage, we need to be listening to the truth that can set us free. And that's why I think it's important that in this series, as we talk about how short life is, that we remember life's too short to listen to the wrong voices. Because listening to the wrong voices can get you into some real trouble. And so we've been looking at different biblical examples of people who made the most of their time, who made the most of the days that God gave them. And in the first sermon of the series, we looked at Moses, and last week we talked about Joseph. And today we're gonna look at another familiar person from the Old Testament. You've probably heard of him before. His name is David. And even if you don't know a whole lot about David, you probably recognize the name that's most associated with his. Fill in the blank for me if you can. David and... Goliath. Oh, come on. You guys are more awake than that. David and Goliath. There you go. And we're going to look at this epic scene, this epic battle that took place between David and Goliath. And it's a cool story. It's a story that we tell our kids in vacation Bible school and children's church and all that good stuff. I mean, it's a cool story, but it also has something to tell us today as adults. Because what I think is interesting is that this epic scene. It's not only just a cool scene that like, you know, movies are made of and stuff like that, but it's also a moment in history that forever changed the course of Israel's history, that forever changed the history of the Old Testament. And it happened all because David was willing to listen to the right voice and disregard all the distracting voices around him. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17 today. If you have your Bibles, want to look up chapter 17 in the book of 1 Samuel from the Old Testament. And let me set up the scene of what's going on here. The Israelites, God's people, they are at war with a group of people known as the Philistines. Now, some people pronounce this Philistines. 
I've had Bible college professors and seminary professors that say it both ways. It really doesn't matter. I'm going to say Philistines because I'm right, but it really doesn't matter, okay? So I don't care how you say it, but this is what you need to know about the Philistines. The Philistines were a cruel people. They were barbaric. They made war when there didn't need to be war. They would come in and they would abuse people and they, were, they lived uh, to worship pagan gods and they were just an evil, wicked group of people. And they were constantly causing trouble for the nation of Israel. And that's what's going on in 1 Samuel chapter 17. The Philistines have invaded the nation of Israel. And at this point in history, a guy named Saul is king of Israel. So David isn't yet king over Israel. He will be king one day. In fact, he will be the greatest king in Old Testament history, but he's not king yet. The prophet has already come to David and said, one day you will be king, but not yet. David at this point is just a young shepherd boy, a young teenager at this point. He's the youngest of this guy named Jesus. Jesse's eight sons. And he's a teenager who has the job of watching his father's sheep. Because he's the youngest of eight sons, he gets the job that nobody else wants to do. None of them wanted to watch sheep. Watching sheep was a dirty, nasty, lowly job. None of them wanted to do it. So David is stuck watching the sheep. And so Saul at this time is king and he goes to war against the Philistines and three of David's brothers are old enough to go and fight. David's not old enough, but three of his brothers are old enough to go fight. And so they go to the battle lines. And this is what's going on. They meet, the two armies meet at the Valley of Elah and they meet here with one side on one on one side of the valley and the other on the other side with this empty valley in between. So one army on one side, another army on the other side, and nobody wants to go down in the valley and give up the high ground because that would be detrimental. You don't wanna do that. And so they're at a standstill. They're basically deadlocked. Nobody wants to go into the valley. They're each on a side. And so the Philistines have this mighty warrior, this champion named Goliath. And Goliath is a monster of a man. I mean, he is a true giant. The Bible says he's way over nine feet tall. He is a big dude. And he's not just tall, he is muscular and strong. He is so strong that the Bible says the armor that he wears day in and day out weighs 200 pounds. I mean, this is a big dude. The end of his spear, the Bible says, weighs over 25 pounds. Again, this is a big dude. They probably didn't even have clothes that would fit him in the big and tall section at Kohl's. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is a big monster of a dude. And so Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, steps out from the battle line and he taunts the Israelites and he says, listen, we don't have to fight this battle and a bunch of people die. You send out your best warrior against me. We'll just fight one-on-one and whoever wins, then the other one has to be our slaves. And so he steps up to challenge the best warrior on on Israel's side. And you know what Israel does? Look at what the scripture says. It says, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. In fact, when you look at the original Hebrew, it indicates that they lost all hope. It's not a good place to be. The scripture goes on to say this. It says, when the Israelites saw the man, saw Goliath, this giant of a man standing there, they all ran from him in great fear. And for the next 40 days, 
Goliath is going to step out and challenge any Israelite who's willing to fight him. And nobody's willing to fight him. All the Israelite soldiers run every time that Goliath steps out. While all this is going on, Jesse, the father of David, who also has three boys who are off to war, he lives about 15 miles away from where the battle is taking place. And Jesse is worried about his sons who are at war. And so he goes to David, the youngest of his boys, and he says, David, I want you to go check on your brothers. I want you to make the 15 mile journey, go see them, make sure they're okay, make sure they don't need anything, see how they're doing, and also bring them some food as well. Bring them some snacks and make sure that they're eating well. And so David takes with him some bread and cheese to go and give his brothers some food and take care of them. And so Jesse asked his son David to do this, and I want you to notice how David responds. And remember, David is a teenager, young teenager at this point in history. It says, early in the morning, David left the flock with a, uh, left the flock with a shepherd, with another attendant to watch over the sheep, because somebody had to watch them while he was gone, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed, as his dad had told him to do. Now, what stands out to me is this last line here, as Jesse had directed. Because remember, David is a teenager. And one thing that I know about teenagers is that most teenagers don't like to get up early in the morning, do they? They don't like to do that. They like to sleep in. So first of all, his dad tells him you got to make this journey. He had to leave early the next morning. He does so. He doesn't argue about it. Not only that, he has to travel 15 miles, probably on foot, in order to get to where his brothers are. I don't know a whole lot of teenagers who just like to walk 15 miles for the sake of it, you know? They don't like to do that. So this is going to be a rigorous journey, and he He's got to pack some stuff to bring with him. He's going to bring some food to his brothers. And so basically, he's a glorified Uber Eats driver. And so he gets to take this food, this delivery to his brothers. And remember, this is the same guy who already knows he's going to be the next king of Israel. And his brothers don't respect him. When he gets there, we find out that his brothers make fun of him and they even criticize him. They don't respect him at all. And so Jesse turns to David and says, I want you to make this trip. Oh, and by the way, make sure that the flock, that the sheep are still taken care of while you're gone, because if you get back and something's wrong, then you're going to be responsible for that. So he's also got to make sure that somebody else watches over the sheep while he's away. And I could just see David looking at his dad and saying, come on, dad, really? You really want me to do that? Come on. I got friends here. I got a life here. I got things going on here. My brothers are jerks anyway. They don't even respect me. They're just going to make fun of me. I don't want to do this, Dad. Come on, Dad. I got to get up early. I got to walk 15 miles. This is nuts. Come on, Dad. Can't you hear David saying that? But he doesn't. David doesn't let the voice of pride distract him from what he needs to do. And I love this about David. I mean, just think about it. David is a shepherd at this point. And he already knows that he's going to be the next king over Israel. And being a shepherd was one of the lowest jobs in their culture. And couldn't you see David, after he finds out from God's prophet that he's going to be the next king over Israel, that David would have said, okay, I'm done watching sheep now. I mean, somebody else can do it. I got to start preparing to be king. But he doesn't. He continues to do whatever is asked of him. Why? Because David didn't listen to the voice of pride. David knew that if he was faithful in the small things, God would give him greater opportunities. 
And because David was faithful in any situation he found himself in, God gave him even greater opportunities to serve him. This is a principle that Jesus teaches us. Jesus says, anyone who can be trusted in little matters can also be trusted in important matters. You ever known somebody that's always complaining about the situation that they're in and no matter what situation they find themselves in, they're not happy, they're not satisfied because they're always waiting for the next big thing. Maybe it's the job that they're in or the circumstances they find themselves in or maybe the resources that they have or the finances that they currently have. They're looking at their situation and they always want more. They're never satisfied with what they have. So whatever they receive, they always see it as a stepping stone for something else and they never actually live and embrace the moment that they are in. See, I think what the Bible is telling us is we need to be faithful to God where we are right now. And when we are faithful in the small things, God then gives us greater opportunities to serve him and to make a difference in this world. That's why Jesus also teaches that for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. David was known for being one after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart. And I think it's because he was always faithful no matter what, no matter what situation he found himself in and this point in his life. Now, this reminds me of a great truth. We need to make sure that we don't trip over the ordinary. Because what if David had looked at this moment and said, I don't wanna do this, dad. I don't wanna go. And he argued with his dad and he whined and he threw a fit and he didn't wanna go. And what if David had not gone? He would have missed out on an opportunity to do something great for God. And David had no idea that by delivering cheese and bread to his brothers, that he would end up being used in God in such a powerful way to change the course of Israel's history. He had no idea what this would lead to. But we gotta be faithful in the everyday things. We've gotta be faithful in the ordinary in order to see what else God has in store for us. So be careful not to trip over the ordinary because God can use the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And so David obeys his father just as, and does just what his dad wanted him to do. But when he gets to the battle lines, he arrives just as the giant Goliath is coming out to taunt the Israelite soldiers. And David gets there and he hears what Goliath is saying and David is absolutely shocked that everybody's running from him. Listen to what David says. David says, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? In other words, David says, who does this guy think he is? Why are you guys allowing him to talk about our God this way? Why are you allowing him to talk about God's people and God's army this way? Why are you guys allowing this to happen? See, David knew something. David knew that God had already promised to give his people victory. So why were his people being passive when they already knew God's promise? It's because they were listening to another voice, the voice of fear. And we know, I don't have to tell you how crippling Fear can be at times. Fear will keep us from really living. Fear will cause us to hide. Fear will lead us to live in isolation and isolate ourselves from the people we need to be around and the people who love us and care about us. Fear will cause us to keep running. Fear will keep us from ever taking a risk or doing anything great for God. Fear can be absolutely 
paralyzing. And that's what is happening here in this passage. The nation of Israel, their soldiers, they keep running from Goliath because they're listening to the voice of fear rather than living by faith. And I'm not saying that in this world around us that there aren't things that we should be afraid of or the things that should never scare us. I mean, there's a lot of things that scare us in this world. But when we approach something or have something in front of us that is scary, that might worry us, what we need to remember is greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. And that's why the Bible tells us this, that God has not given us as his people a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. We are not to be those who are guided and led by fear, but we are those who are led by faith. And what I have discovered is we often waste our time worrying when we should be worshiping. See, the next time, that you find yourself in a situation that's out of your control and you're worried about it, you're stressed about it, and maybe you're even afraid because of it, instead of worrying, why don't you worship? And remember in that moment that our fears assume their proper size in the presence of our God. Remember who's really in control and our fears will start to shrink. That's why David sees this situation differently because everybody else is focused on who's in front of them Goliath David is focused on who's above him and that's God and so David sees this situation differently but his brothers get annoyed by him his brothers who are there who he came to serve by the way they get ticked that he's talking to the soldiers and saying these things about why is nobody standing up to this guy and so the bible goes on to tell us when Eliab David's oldest brother heard David speaking with the men he burned with anger at him and asked why have you come down here and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? Don't you have a job to do back home? Why are you here anyway? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. Now, Eliab, David's oldest brother, is way off here. I mean, he's totally wrong. I mean, we know why David's there. David didn't come because he chose to come. He came because his father asked him to come. He's simply obeying his dad. He's totally wrong here. And Eliab accuses David of being conceited. He accuses him of having the wrong heart. And he wants to criticize David for being there when David was simply doing what was right. And here's what I've discovered. When you try to do the right thing, the more critics you're gonna have. And we need to make sure that the voice of our critics, the voice of criticism, doesn't keep us from the future that God wants us to have. Because the more you try to live for God, the more critics you're gonna have. Sometimes people say things like, you know, when you're, doing, when you're really doing what's right, then you won't face opposition. And these people, I don't, it's not me. In my experience, the more I try to do what's right, the more critics I have. But I'm not gonna let their voices drown out God's voice. I'm going to continue to live for his purpose because I know I am living for something greater even though they may not see what I see because I am one who's living by faith. And so I love how David responds here. David says, now, what have I done? Said David, can I even speak? He sounds like a little brother here, doesn't he? Can I even talk? I mean, what's, why are you criticizing me? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. In other words, he didn't get sucked into this fight. 
I mean, Eliab, his oldest brother, is trying to distract him, and he doesn't get sucked into this fight. Instead of standing there the rest of the day and arguing and fighting with his brothers, instead, he turns to somebody else and talks to them. He's not going to lose his focus. He's not going to lose sight of what's most important. He is going to continue to keep his focus on God. And this teaches me something else. It teaches me that I'm not to waste my time fighting battles that aren't mine. And the same is true for you. Don't waste your time fighting battles that aren't yours. Don't waste your time fighting battles that God doesn't want you to fight. Because sometimes it takes more faith to say, I am not going to fight because God doesn't want me to fight this battle, he's got something else in store for me and I'm going to trust him. See, we need to remember we're living for something bigger than just what we see around us. And sometimes when I look at the church today and I look at certain Christians today, I see us winning all these like physical earthly battles, but we're missing the spiritual opportunities that are right in front of us. Jesus says this, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, I'm gonna do things differently than how men do it. And if we're going to experience the victories that he wants us to experience, then we gotta do things his way. And that's important for us to remember because if not, then we will miss out on what our calling really is. See, you know how you know you're fighting the wrong battle? It's when you're trying to control people because we're not here to control people. In fact, we can't change people our job isn't to change people, it's to introduce people to Jesus, the only one who can change them. That's why we're here, because we can't force anybody to do what's right. We can't obligate someone else to do what's right. We can't guilt someone else to do what's right. We can't legislate laws and make people do what's right. The only way that people will ultimately do what's right is if their hearts are changed. And you and I don't have the ability to do that, but we can introduce them to the one who can. Our primary job is to introduce people to Jesus who can change their hearts. That's why we're here. Because David could have stood there and argued with Eliab all day long. And he could have won the argument. But we know what the real problem is. It wasn't that Eliab was primarily mad at David, even though he was. Eliab's primary problem was that he doubted God. Because if he had the faith that he needed, he would have already stood up to Goliath. Eliab was the tallest of his brothers. He should have been the one from the family to fight. His problem wasn't that he doubted David or was mad at David, he doubted God. And when our faith isn't what it should be, then we will listen to the voices of comfort and the voices of selfish desires. The voices of comfort tell us, hey, just please yourself, do whatever feels good in the moment. The voices of selfish desire tell us, hey, give in to whatever temptations are around you because you deserve that. See, Eliab, not only did he want to stay and do what's comfortable, he also gave in to his anger. Remember, he said he got angry at David and he snapped at him? He let his own selfishness control him in the moment where he did something that was sinful. And that's what we do as well when our faith isn't where it needs to be. But even though 
David's brothers try to discourage him, King Saul hears that there's one who actually wants to fight Goliath. And Saul gets excited because finally there's an Israelite who wants to stand up to Goliath. And so King Saul calls for David to meet him, to come and meet before him, stand before him. And so David gets there and I've got a feeling that Saul is really, really disappointed because look at what the scripture says. It says, Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy and he has been a fighting man from his youth. In other words, what are you thinking? You're too small, you're too little, you're too inexperienced, you're too young to do something like this. Can you imagine having your king tell you this? And not only was he the king of the people, Saul was a hero at this time of the people. So you've got the hero of your nation looking at you and saying, you're not good enough. You're too small, you're too little, you're too inexperienced, you can't do this. And David could have listened to the voice of insecurity that belittled him, that criticized him, that cut him down. But instead, David didn't find his confidence in Saul or in his own abilities. David found his confidence in God because David knew who was writing the end of his story. Look at how David responds. He says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Now, what is David talking about? David, when he was taking care of the sheep. There were times when wild animals would come and try to kill or take away his sheep. And David was able to protect his sheep because he said God was with him. He says, if God was with me in these small matters, then God can be with me in this big matter as well. I've seen God work over and over again. And David's biggest weapon here is his memory because his memory reminded him that God is faithful to those who trust in him. And so David says, God's been with me in the small matters. He can be with me in this big matter as well. David knew how the story was gonna end. He may not have known exactly how God was gonna get there, but he knew God's people were going to be victorious. Somehow, God was gonna make sure that his people were victorious. And he wasn't sure exactly how God was gonna get them there, but he knew what God had promised. He knew who was writing the end of the story. See, my son and I, we like to watch ball games, especially late at night, and he'll fall asleep a lot of times watching games. And as he starts to fall asleep, he'll look at me, he'll look at me and he'll say, hey, daddy, can you uh, record the game for me? And I know he's getting tired then because he's gonna fall asleep and he wants to see who wins. You know, he wants to see the outcome. So I will then record the game for him. He'll go on to sleep and the next morning he'll wake up and he'll come to me and he'll say, hey, dad, who won? I'd be like, well, you gotta watch the end. He's like, no, no, I don't wanna watch it. I don't wanna see my team lose. So just tell me who won. And I'm like, no, you gotta actually watch it. He's like, no, no, I, just tell me. So then I know beforehand. And if our team lost, then I'm not gonna watch the game. And I'm like, no, you need to watch it all the way through. And so I'm weak and eventually I cave and I tell him to score. And if our team won, then he'll sit there and he will watch it. And here's the thing, he'll see things happen like maybe his favorite player gets fouled out or there's a bad call made by a ref, or it looks like the other team's gonna come back and win, and he doesn't get nervous at all. You know why? Because he knows how the game ends. And that's how we are to live as Christians. We know who will be victorious in the end. We know that Jesus is victorious. And at times in our lives, it may look like that evil is winning. We may get fouled 
There may be a bad call by the referee. It may look like the other team is making a comeback. There may be rough moments in our lives, but we know how the story ends. Jesus is victorious. And so because we know how the story ends, we're not to get lost in the middle of it. We are to continue to look to the victory that God has promised. And we may not know exactly how he's gonna get us there, but we will be victorious with our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And so... With that in mind, we continue to play through the bumps. We continue to take the hits. We continue to power through our rough days because we know who's writing the end of the story. So what does David do? He stands up to Goliath. He doesn't use the weaponry of the day. In fact, he refuses Saul's armor. He doesn't stand up with a giant sword or spear, shield, anything like that, like most warriors would have carried. Instead, he comes with a slingshot. Not a slingshot like we you know, buy at Walmart today. It's a shepherd's slingshot. And so what you would do is you would put a little stone in this pouch and you would swing it. If I can do this, you'd swing it like this. You get some force and then you let it go. And you let it go. Hopefully you can aim well and hit your target. Shepherds would use this in order to fight off wild beasts who'd come and try to attack their livestock. David stands up, he brought five stones with him, he only has to use one. He hits Goliath in the head, and Goliath is defeated. Now here's the thing, those slingshots are harder to use than what you may think they are. And I know that because some of our staff tried it this week. And so we documented it, take a look at this video real fast. sure if you could hear him, but at the end, Brian was just like, did you get that? Because he actually hit the wall that he was trying to hit. And that was like the, I don't know, hundredth time that he tried. But anyway, those things are a lot harder to use than what they look. And nobody would have expected for the giant Goliath to fall by a shepherd's slingshot. But you see, God doesn't win battles the way that the world does. I love what David says as he stands up to Goliath. He says in verse 45, he says, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. And then when we jump down to verse 47, David says this, all those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands, speaking to the Philistines. What David here is saying is, God's gonna win this, but not in the way you think. Not with the weapons of this world. God's gonna win by his strength. And sometimes I think the reason why the church today isn't making the impact on the world like we should be is because we're trying to win these battles our way. We're trying to win our battles 
with the world's strength. We're trying to win our battles the same way we would if God wasn't with us. And God's victory comes not through our strength or the world's ideas or the world's weaponry. God's victory comes through his strength. So David trusts in God, and this is how the passage ends. It says, so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. See, I believe that God still wants to bring about great victories in our world today and in your life today. But in order to experience those victories, we've got to make sure we're not listening to the wrong voices because the wrong voices will keep us from doing what God wants us to do. Life is way too short to listen to the wrong voices. Let's commit ourselves to listening to the only voice that ultimately and truly matters. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this moment that we've had to open up your word. And I pray that we will be those who listen to you, knowing that there are billions of voices out there that are trying to distract us and persuade us. But we know your voice is the only voice that ultimately, eternally matters. Thank you for leading us and guiding us. And may we be faithful to who you're calling us to be. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.